This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition or Weekends with Bolshe, as we like to call it. I'm Peter Gowers. This guy's name is Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? Good, good, good. You've uh, really got this down to a fine art now, mate. I quite like it. I quite like the John Oliver. <laughs> The words fake it till you make it crossed my mind as you were going there. <laughs> well, that's a little harsh, but anyway, uh, let's get our guest on from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, Chris Walsh. Hello there. Hey, guys. Good to see you both again. You mm. too. What's going down, mate? Oh, man. All kinds of stuff. Like, seriously, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. It's what yeah. Thursday night here. I haven't been able to get off the phone here to do this with you guys. So mm-hmm. I've just put it away for a little while here and we'll get this done but uh yeah now there's a lot of stuff going on and um yeah we've got some some big stuff coming out next week as well into some other issues in the public service of course questionable conduct and mm-hmm. uh, uh some stuff that's going to be pretty shocking for people though and um uh, yeah look you know public servants lying again but being caught doing that um with evidence with hard proof so Oh man, I don't know if they're learning anything. I don't know if they fear the ICAC. If they are, like they don't seem to be cleaning up their acts at all here. It's been over three years since the ICAC's been in, and they seem to be, you know, thumbing their nose at it and doing what they want still. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm gonna get to the point where the ICAC might actually have to take action on a senior public servant for a change, and then maybe the message will be sent. You know, shiv one of them. Make and then the apple. rest of them, yeah, yeah, shank them as they're walking by. Uh, yeah, uh, well, it hasn't happened yet, space. but yeah, we'll keep going. <laughs> cool. So, mate, talking about ICAC, uh, you've got a story here. The, uh, in fact, this is the story we talked about last week, and uh, you've followed up uh, the procurement scandal in the chief minister's department will not be reinvestigated, according to ICAC. Uh, for some reason, no. Apparently, he's just kind of ruled this out. Now, of course, we'll get into some issues and what that means, but just kind of as a brief summation for everybody that, uh, that of course, there's this German scandal. We have a whole section about this now on the, on the homepage of the anti-independent website. So you can go and have a look um, at all of the stories that we've investigated. I think it's five now. Um, yeah, so... Of course, what we know is that this, and we, of course, revealed this, the Stedman report, the by local advocates report had come out in 2019 into the awarding of this procurement contract for recruitment services uh, through the Department of Chief Minister. The by local advocate found that, uh, that the Deputy Chief Executive of DCM, Maria Moore, and Director of Governance, Karen Batten, had uh, altered the tender scores at one point with no evidence, he said that their actions were not defensible and that the breaches of government procurement processes failed to reflect fair dealing or best value for the territory. I mean, it's a pretty scathing, pretty damning report here into the conduct of these two public officials. Now, as we know, that gets passed on to the ICAC. The ICAC then gets uh, a deputy commissioner at the time by the name of Rex Wild. And then I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Rex Wild. He's been around a long time here in the territory. Um, you know, in fact, he, he, he's the one who prosecuted uh, Bradley Murdoch 
Yeah, yeah, and was also co-author of the Little Children Are Sacred report that ultimately led to the 2007 intervention. So he's been around a while. So they give Mm -hmm. him this thing. Now he comes out with his report, which, you know, is basically, it's so brief. Like I said before, it was, you know, maybe a paragraph and a half that actually deals with what he said he was investigating, which was, uh, you know, unsatisfactory conduct or the conduct of public servants. Uh, our public servant officers in this in the role in this procurement scandal and how this got botched so badly and uh instead what it becomes really is that he well he finds that they had failed to adhere to best practice but they were not guilty of unsatisfactory conduct and so that's what we knew back in april when that came out but now with the ability to look at this other internal government report by Dennis Stedman, the bi-local advocate, we're like, well, wait a second. Well, hold on, everybody. Uh, you, you didn't say all of this stuff in your report that, that Stedman had found. And then, you know, as part of our investigative series, as we went on and looked at things, I mean, we had the issue there. Now, look, here's another thing. So it's all fun for the ICAC right now, Michael Riches, to say, I'm not investigating. I'm not going to reinvestigate this. Well, what, what happens if a, if a formal complaint is filed with the ICAC inspector about this, right? Like say in a grief party, one of the local companies that didn't get this recruitment services contract and that, you know, had complained to the bi-local advocate, he does his report and he finds that all of this misconduct's happened. And yet the ICAC then finds that no, no misconduct or, or unsatisfactory conduct happened. What happens if one of them then complained to the ICAC inspector and says, oh, the ICAC didn't do their job properly. How could he possibly investigate that? Because uh, as we revealed, his administrative staffer that the DCM had given him, that he even admitted he had nothing to do with appointing, was Maria Moore, was the deputy chief executive of the department of chief minister who had access to his email account, who helped manage files. She had access to potentially sensitive investigation records and the names of public servants who complained to the ICAC. So that, that, that becomes a very serious issue right now is like, what if somebody does that? And I don't know if they are. I don't know about that part. Like I said, we don't deal with that kind of stuff. We just report what happens. We don't get involved in filing complaints. So I have no idea, but I, I'm just curious at how they would actually manage those conflicts in that case. Um, you know, as, as also part of it, we found that Craig O'Halloran, who is married to the administrator, uh, was in a senior role. He's the guy in procurement services that signed off on the flawed procurement contract, despite knowing of breaches of guidelines and the tender scores being manipulated. Uh, that was done by him. And then uh, Jody Ryan also signed off on it, the head public servant. We also found that, uh, and this was just one of these shocking things too, is how significant that contract was for the recruitment services, which went to a company, Melbourne-based NGS Global, to provide the recruitment services for three senior executive positions. But of course, the big one was the police commissioner. And uh, and then there were some potential conflicts. We said potential conflicts of interest raised and in, uh, whether or not Jody Ryan was involved at all with that appointment that would have been recommended by the recruitment company. We still don't know why, when this is all said and done, why they needed to go with NGS Global so badly when Sedman found they had never done work with the NT government before. And that, you know, and basically that a local company could do it. And even you had Craig O'Halloran, it appeared in that in one of those stories saying that he thought a local company could do it. But then they altered the scores and he said, oh, yeah, whatever. And he signed off on this other company. But we, we still don't know why, why that company was needed so badly. But then when you're looking at roles like police commissioner, you think, OK, well, how how sensitive 
was that and what, what happened? Why? Anyway, look, none of that was reported in the Rex Wild ICAC report. It was just completely whitewashed, no names, nothing. Didn't get into any details. We had no idea about the serious breaches here of the government's procurement rules, which he then just kind of focused on. Oh, yeah, here's some recommendations. You know, the, the Auditor General's already made recommendations into procurement guidelines and how they should change. So I think a lot of people were left let down with that investigation. And then once we started doing this, I think a lot more Territorians now probably have had their faith shaken a little bit more in the ICAC. I know that the office of the ICAC, you know, hasn't probably been the most popular. I think a lot of people see them as being, as not taking enough action at this point that, you know, you're now over three years of operation and what do you got to show for it? Not a lot. I mean, the turf club is the biggest for sure. Um, the rest of the stuff, I don't know. Like, you know, that was the question we asked three years. Why hasn't one senior public servant been held accountable for anything? Unless they're doing a massive operation right now, um, we don't know. And so this doesn't do any, any, you know, more good for the, uh, for the office of the ICAC or for Territorians to have faith in that office when, you know, the commissioner now has just kind of dismissed any type of looking at it again, revisiting. Mm-hmm these issues and making it clearer for people to restore that trust. You know, that was a question he didn't answer. I said, well, if you're not going to reinvestigate, how do you restore that trust with Territorians to feel that it's broken after something like this when they see what's gone on, yeah. but that it appeared that the ICAC didn't investigate thoroughly and then no response on that. So look, one of the things that he did confirm, I think his quote was, quote was from through his media person and it was no explanation, just commissioner Rich's, will not reinvestigate matters under the former commissioner where findings have already been made and the matter concluded. And that might be referencing as well, if you guys remember the botched report, I think our headline was ICAC stuff up. Uh, This was into the two uh, City of Darwin employees who were also alleged to have manipulated a council procurement process to award a friend a job. And uh, pretty damning on that one. They went pretty hard at the ICAC, but then they they found out that they didn't afford the women natural justice. That their responses, if you guys recall, were uh, lost yeah. in the junk in the yeah, junk mail. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you know, and that was that's almost comical if it wasn't so serious. But yeah. you know, just this week or last week, sorry, the ICAC inspector uh, McClintock, his report came out and he mentioned that because that was brought up as a huge failure of the office. And he suggested that, quote, thought might well have been given to contacting the woman's law firm prior to the release of the report. (laughs) You know, when you when you write in this report with adverse findings people and they don't respond, but they have a lawyer, maybe you should contact the lawyer and see if they're good without doing it. Now, look, here's here's how these things are connected as well. They were both authored by Rex Wild. So both the procurement scandal and the department of chief minister and this other botched investigation into the, uh, into procurement issues with the city of Darwin, the council, yeah. um, yeah, both by him. Uh, look, we, I, you know, he's respected lawyers. Like I said, I pointed out some of the things that he's done here for years. I went to him with questions. We tried through a lot of different avenues to get these questions delivered to him, including we sent all the questions to the office of the ICAC and they responded, uh, Mr. Wilde does not wish to engage or something. So he didn't want to explain himself to Territorians on uh, on all these issues. And again, like the other thing I said, like, look, this guy's a former 
DPP, Director of Public Prosecutions. I mentioned the, the, the Murdoch trial that he handled successfully. Um, he, uh, one of the issues, though, I mean, they recently appointed him, as I said before, to this, uh, to be the chair of the parole board. And, you know, this is months after he's done investigating the most senior public servants and the government turns around and gives him this appointment. And he just got to, I've asked him those questions, like, just explain to people, like, it's just a bad look. Like you said, Pete, beyond reproach um, and the perception, the optics of everything. So mm. look, we gave him an opportunity to respond. He chose not to take that. And that's unfortunate, but I think we're all left with this mess with a lot more questions than answers and it just seems that this is going to be another thing that just that's it it's over it's done it's exhausted and mm. and guess what uh no consequences yeah for just anybody a question, just a question on on uh the inspector you said the report was the annual report was handed down recently was it or it was probably yeah that's yesterday? right yeah yeah right and it was there any mention uh, of uh, maria moore as his uh Funny, it was, yeah, no, she's not there now. Right. I remember we were thinking it was too late for him to change it. So she's not in that position to give him administrative support, but right. her executive assistant is still doing it. And a woman named Doherty, Jane okay. Doherty is still doing it in there, is now the DCM rep providing his who's, office. Who's he? She is, uh, yeah, she's uh, an executive, not quite as high up, but she's, uh, I believe, yeah, we did a search of the DCM annual report and she's still, you know, an executive there. I think she's on the executive leadership team as well. So there's still Still, connections there. Well, and look, but he put that report in before we brought that to his attention that there were conflicts there. And and like I said, I think he was embarrassed. Well, he, he got angry. Mm-hmm. that he hadn't considered that before. So expects maybe some changes by the time the next annual report comes around. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, again, like what, what happens here? Like what, what happens if, if yeah, yeah. these things are investigated, you know, complaints are made, how does he handle that? And he, they don't want to explain that. They got to be open with people about this so that we have confidence and faith in this most, most yeah. important of all institutions here. Yep. Hey, the other thing too, Chris, um, uh, a comment and a question, comment being um, ironic that uh, the junk emails caused a problem again in the government. I seem to recall there was a NT independent email that didn't get picked up some time ago. Well, funny you mention that too, because uh, as we know, that's part of an investigation right now into yeah. the so-called cocaine sex scandal. Yeah. And uh, the, it's very important and very crucial to establishing who knew what and when and how they operated. And of course, we did send them uh, an email to Gunner's office with all of the allegations involving those that MLA and that senior advisor, yeah. which they then said they didn't receive. But yeah, 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 we know when we tried to FOI that, that's how we know it's under investigation. They came back and said, we can't give that to you because, and that was just the chain. Where did it go? I know that they received it because I yeah. sent it. Yeah. But then where did it go? And they said, we can't give you that. It's currently under investigation by the ICAC. So interesting. And now that was in what, February? We're, we were talking yeah. about that the other day. I mean, where's this investigation into Mark Turner and that whole scandal and, and Gunner's office handling of that yeah. seems to have, uh, well, this is going to be another 18 month investigation. Meanwhile, everyone's drawing salaries and uh, yeah, huge yeah. salaries and, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We're we're losing faith. You got you got to move. They got to be quicker on this stuff. So, yeah. And the other thing too is um, the the two ladies that you mentioned from the uh, NT government. 
I know one of them was the deputy chief executive of, of some department, but did I hear you correctly that the other one is like the head of governance? <laughs> yeah, what's the director of governance? I mean, that's her title and information. Because, just, of course, remember, she's all... The sheer definition of the title would suggest that, you know, like, skirting anything would be completely against everything you stand for. Yeah, which is, like, the ridiculous part, right, was that, that Rex Wild found that, oh, they were just confused around these poor procurement guidelines. And it's like, no, these were very senior people that, yeah. that you know, Stedman had even pointed out. So why did he do that, too, right? I mean, that there, there's a failing in the Wild report that if Stedman's report comes out, exposes that and shows it, but he thinks... No, this will never come out. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is that what he thinks? Yeah. Like that's what we're asking him. Like why the discrepancy between those two? I mean, you just look at the situation, right now. Let, let let's take everybody on face value. Nobody set out to do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and and if the determination is that, well, they were just confused, <laughs> then you got the wrong people in the chairs. Yeah, yeah, right? and that should have been in his fine. Cannot have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah, but instead he says, the, no, you can't have the head of governance involved in that and going, oh, well, they're just confused. No, yeah, sorry, that doesn't wash. Yeah, because that would be unsatisfactory conduct from Correct. somebody who should know better. Yeah, well, but, you know, they have their own definition of thresholds of what that means, but why he investigated just for that and not total misconduct or something. Is, yeah. Or incompetence has to be in there. And, and who does the department follow? Because if that's the leader, is it the the next person down that knows all the rules and regs or like, <laughs> like where do you go from there? Yeah. It's got to stay one training course ahead of the next guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, look, just uh, crazy. let's look to the next story now and uh, a lethal blow for the tourism industry with the Alice Springs Masters game set to be postponed again. Yeah, this is one that uh, just kind of came out today. And the way the government worded this release was like they were talking about how great it all is. Yeah, it's going to go ahead. Program is going to be awesome for 2023. But they didn't say anywhere in the headline or the lead that, uh, wait a second, you already postponed it last year to 2022. You're now postponing it a a whole other year. Um, And look, it's not going down well down in Alice. And, you know, this is something This is one of these so-called big events that uh, that a place like that, especially coming through, you know, the pandemic and the the disastrous effects on the the local economy and the tourism industry there, uh, they were really looking forward to this. And now what this decision does is essentially to, to delay it another year, postpone it another year. Look, you had the head of uh, Central Australian Tourism telling ABC Radio this afternoon that uh, that's going to be seven to 10 million bucks right there uh, gone wow. this year. And then, you know, you got a lot of other things going on at the time. And uh, now, look, the government says they've come back and saying that the Alice Springs Master Games uh, had to be uh, postponed due to uh, th- this decision file says, has been made in light of continuing uncertainty around COVID-19 uh-huh. and the impacts the worldwide pandemic has had on forward planning for the event. Now, that's okay. a curious line, right? Yeah, like, it is. That's, yeah. What are, what's she getting at? I thought we were all going to be vaccinated here. Yeah, yeah. We got nothing to worry about. Yeah. I mean, we're in the easy lane here. And they've been saving lives and, you know, yeah, controlling so, the free world. Yeah. Now, uh, most of this Yellow Springs Masters games, as far as I'm aware, doesn't have international people per se. It's more, you know, people from around the country, Australians from around the country coming in to take part in this. And 
so I, I, I don't know exactly. Now, I guess, like, you, you know, you've got the issues that they're worried about Alice Springs, it being the center for all those remote communities to come in, right? And that, that maybe yeah. there's some concern there that they're still not going to be vaccinated in these remote communities by that time. And that heightens the risk of COVID getting in there. But, like, we better have a solution or plan in place to prevent that by, by, by next year, you would think. But, but, but then to do it all the way until 2023, I, it's, it's confusing. It wasn't explained well at all. Robin Lamley uh, came out and she said, look, yeah, look, the residents reluctantly accepted that the games couldn't proceed last year. And they'd have to be rescheduled to 2022, but pushing them back to 2023 is demonstrating zero government commitment to our master's games and to our town. Alice Springs people are feeling the effects of a Darwin-centric government that is in debt up to their eyeballs. No National Aboriginal Art Gallery, no Masters Games. This is a lethal blow to an already struggling tourism industry in Central Australia. So, yeah, hard to argue with that kind of... It's, a, it's amazing that they still held out some hope that the government has got any thought on them whatsoever. I, I mean, know. I, I'm shown them so far. And I'm surprised that yeah, crime wasn't mentioned that they've just basically, you know, remember <laughs> the council has to train people in self-defense yeah, because yeah, yeah. the anti-government has given up on crime. And, and they're getting 60 crime. new security guards, so maybe they were going to go to the Masters <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, just on this, the CLP, and there's some, yeah, I'm still not clear about some things here, but anyway, the CLP came out today and they're saying, look, the reality is this is about cost, not COVID. And yeah. they're saying the government's worried now about I don't I don't get that argument in a lot of ways. They, like this, when has this government ever cared about the cost? cost of exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are we getting at here, guys? But anyway, look, they had their say, and they're saying that uh, you know these the Masters Games athletes, volunteers, and spectators are the latest victims of labor's deepening budget black hole, and comes after the era Fuhrer Games, as, we, as you guys remember was put on the chopping block back in July. If Labor ha- hadn't gifted $12 million for the dodgy grandstand <laughs> deal, you know, and then they got into this $35 million. $4 million on a playground at Miley Point, $3 million for the useless Kavanaugh Street shade structure, perhaps. The government would have enough money to support the Alice Springs Masters games. Yeah, I don't know. Look, that that's a great list of really bad spending decisions yeah, by the is. government, but I'm not sure that that comes into play in this one at all. Three million on the shade structure. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you could spend that much on it, given that it's just some wood and some slap. Well, but it was off. like special wood from Tiwi Islands or something that was like, yeah, okay. it was very special right. and uh, fair bit in freight then maybe. Yeah, and then all the maintenance costs. Remember what whatever that was, fifty thousand, hundred thousand a year, something. And if like you've that. if you've had the joy of walking under it recently, which <laughs> I have, it bloody spits on you the whole time and drops water on you when you least expect it. Oh, that Mister, they have those leaking. going again. Yeah, and it's leaking. Yeah, uh, uh, it's, and it doesn't work. It just hasn't been working. I don't know why they don't cut their losses at some point and say, all right, let's put in new plants here and get yeah, it done. Yeah, let's spend another three million on something else. 30 years, wasn't it? 18 years. 18 years is what that guy, the expert, came out and said that's when it'll be fully covered with yeah. that particular vine. Uh, yep. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's flip back into the uh, public service again. Uh, the Northern Territory Health Department Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Frank Daly, I thought that was a very nice coincidence. <laughs> I agree. Has told staff... Internal investigations have identified 
key areas of concern to do with nepotism and conflicts of interest in procurement, but the department has refused to say what led to the investigations or what has happened as a result of them. Mm. Well, at least they're doing investigations and checking these things out and they're sending emails out. So that's a good thing, Chris. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, look, I guess this, the, these issues of conflicts of interest in procurement, nepotism, um, key areas of concern, as they say, aren't uh, only restricted to the chief minister's department. It seems now the health department's getting in on the action. And I, and I wonder where Dipple is on all of this stuff, too. Department of Infrastructure, Planning and Logistics, you know, what's unusual is that this last week in Parliament is when all these annual reports came out. And conspicuously absent was Dipple's annual report. And now they only have three months from the end of the financial year to produce this. So why isn't it there? Is something going on? Um, that is interesting. I didn't yeah, realize we, that. We made some inquiries into that. Is there a possible investigation maybe underway into that department or something going on there? We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, it, it, they may have gotten an extension from the minister, but I can think offhand of no legitimate reason for why Dippel wouldn't be able to produce its annual report in three months. So we'll find out more. But anyway, back to the health department here and um, and what, what's gone on there. Now, this was an email that was sent out by uh, yeah, Dr. Frank Daly, the new chief executive. I don't think he's been in the job very long. Uh, sent out on November 1st. Uh, David Wood was sent that from a source. Um, now, what he, what he talks about in here, the chief executive, is that he says the public has a right to expect that all public servants perform their duties in a fair and unbiased way, making decisions free of self-interest, personal relationships, or private affiliations. So he goes on to say that, uh, well, they would not answer our questions. Now, the thing that the timing of all of this, and there were well, some issues here, maybe I should talk about this first, just about the, the recruitment, and uh, we were saying the nepotism. Uh, to assess applicants' suitability based on proven capabilities, they're saying that's how it should work. Uh, the, the, and he's reminding, Dr. Daly's reminding the employees in the, in the health department, successful applicants must be selected based on the merit principle and not on the basis that you favor or are prejudiced due to a personal relationship, friendship, animosity, or other personal involvement that could bias your judgment or decision. Gosh. If you're a now, this is if you're a member of a recruitment selection panel for positions that a family member or friend has applied for, you must declare the conflict in writing and obtain written delegate approval to continue. So, oh you kind of well, can infer from that that something's going on. You get a me. sense of maybe what's happening. Hmm. Now, to be fair here, um, yeah, Woody had written this, and I I looked at it and I thought, yeah. Um, I think we got to ask the office of the ICAC about this because uh, last week, I think just before Parliament sat, or maybe it was on the Tuesday, uh, Michael Riches sent around a whole, uh, well, it was a draft, they're calling it a draft, mandatory reporting rules for what they're saying is for the public servants, senior public servants, public servants, and uh, politicians. And he's calling it a draft guidelines for quote unquote consultation with people. So mm -hmm. this is that mandatory reporting stuff we were talking about before. Is this because of all the good work that you've been doing, Chris, or uh, uh, yeah. is, this some other, is it because we've got a new uh, ICAT commissioner? 
It's just yeah, a coincidence. I, yeah, I don't know, but um, I'd like to see that and reminding people. I mean, but look, the, the ICAC's role in that education section of that was to do that. And from their annual reports, we see that they meet with departments and they explain the mandatory reporting stuff. But, and, you know, I've had a, a cursory glance at it. There was nothing that, that jumped out at me. I don't think that this is anything that's uh, changing in terms of that ICAC Act review that Gunner's doing that we talked about, because we're still not sure exactly how that's going to play out and what changes will be made. And But this seems to be something that's just reminding them of their duties and responsibilities to report corruption when they see it happening. And I, yeah, and I guess you can infer from that too, that it hasn't been happening everywhere. I remember too, that with this health department and them sending this out is something that I've raised concerns over before, which is Rich's, when he came in, the new commissioner, he said, look, some of this smaller stuff, we're just not going to be able to investigate and we have to give it back to the department. And that's, you know, I get where he's coming from. He's got, you know, limited resources and they've got to focus on some big stuff. We need some big stuff from these guys. And so the little stuff like the, the guy at the hospital stealing money, the security guard. Yeah. Not, not maybe worth the ICAC's time, but I just still have concerns when they give it back to a department and I've got, I'm not saying anything about Dr. Daly's department here. Um, but in some of those other departments, you've got some pretty senior people who, who know who are part of that culture. And so to give the complaints back to them to investigate, I think that's going to be problematic. And I think a lot of smaller, that would be considered smaller, that's still big, um, maybe isn't going to get investigated the way it should be. And I don't know if this is part of that, but we'll just, you know, be aware of that. You know, the other thing that I heard this week, just getting back to um, Gunner's, you know, behind closed doors, secret review of the ICAC Act, where it's, you know, fully expected he's going to, cut some pretty important powers of the ICAC is that, you know, very real possibility that he could do that and do it, pass it on, on, um, uh, you know, kind of emergency measures at the next sittings of parliament in December and then wander off for Christmas. And we're left sorting, sifting through what exactly the changes are, but the opposition's gone to him and said, well, what are the terms of reference? How did this all happen? Are you going to make this public? When are you going to make this public? And they still haven't responded to that. So, yeah, I guess we'll watch for that in the early December sittings. That They could just completely change how the ICAX operates. Well, you know, the problem that we've got is that based on the fact that the Privileges Committee is effectively useless, um, the scru- legislative scrutiny, scrutiny committee is effectively useless. Gone. Yeah. Um, Labor seems to, whatever happens, uh, you know, in caucus, who the hell knows? But certainly outside of caucus, they, you know, they step basically. Uh, absolutely, you know, march into line. Uh, there's no one out, out of place. Mm. Uh, you know, if someone wants to vote. On um, on uh, Steve Edgington being out of line in Parliament because he's questioned or made three, you know, made a comment no. uh, <laughs> about something, and they want to refer it to the Privileges Committee. They all get up and vote the same way. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe the CLP would have done the same thing. I don't know. But it just it's frustrating, you know, because it makes it look like there's no one in government that actually has an independent brain that says, mm-hmm. hey, wait a minute, this isn't right. We shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> you know, uh, 
but you know, I don't know. Pete, you used to talk about Labor. I think they can't vote at, at all, out of, uh, right? Correct. So You're not allowed to cross the floor as a party. Well, then you were stuffed. Yeah, because there's yeah. no independent thinking going on. Yeah, there's no one yeah. saying, "Hey, wait a minute, this isn't right." Yeah, there there used to be. I think that this is something that's evolving and, and changing everywhere. It just seems less and less. And maybe that's because we're getting those younger politicians. I get back to that, the career ones, and they don't want to upset the party. Um, so they won't do things like that. But I, I'm thinking about like this feature I did when Malandary McCarthy became the senator here, was pre-selected as the labor senator. She she crossed the floor when she was an NT parliament to vote against labor. Yeah. And uh, she took some flack for that. And uh, but we don't we don't see that anymore. Yeah. We don't see that stuff. Mm. I don't we know. I'm, to, I'm worried. We need to see yeah. that. We well, but but Leon, like that's the whole thing. Like these people, like the whole ban on us. You know, like, like I'm not taking any of that stuff personally. But at some at some level, I guess I have to because these people know me and they know that what Gunner's doing by banning us is wrong. But not one of them has stood up to him and said Correct. this is wrong. Correct. You can't ban the free press, Michael. Go do something else. But yes. you can't do that. No one of them. So they have to be judged by their actions. And uh, I'm, I'm and I think people like you know Kate Warden, who we've had on the podcast, you know who. By all yeah, she accounts, seemed, just seems yeah. a reasonable and, yeah. and a hardworking person. Why would Kate Warden buy into this? Why would Kate Warden, you know, uh, vote for sending Steve Edgington to the Privileges Committee over something that just appears to be so ridiculous? <laughs> you know, just you know? just on that, uh, just a thought that I had about that, and I don't know when that went on there. I remember that came up in question time, and then I guess later that night, I didn't see that part where they 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 came back and they referred him. And it was Chancey Pake during question time, just making an ass of himself, really, and going after Edgington and saying, no, you you misled Parliament. I'm not sure that somebody who, you know, is in opposition backbencher can mislead Parliament when they're just talking about government funding somewhere. And he was saying, no, I was there. I was the mayor of the region, and I know where this funding came from. So it was really an impetuous thing that the Chancey did and started attacking him and then saying, I'm going to refer you to privileges. I'm going to refer you to privileges. And then he tried and then and they couldn't do it. But here's the troubling thing that the fact that they went back to that later and actually passed that to refer him means that the party got together and said they do it. The thing that just crossed my mind when they were talking about that last Friday morning on radio was the gunner do this because he's afraid of Chancey Pay. And he's letting him get his way here because this is a stupid political thing to do. It is absolutely stupid. But is Gunner afraid that Chansey's going to lead some sort of revolt against him? We know that Chansey doesn't really like Gunner personally, that if there was anyone in that caucus right now who 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 maybe would. And, you know, this guy, Chansey, came out in an ABC story a couple of years ago that John o. Gibson had done, that he was in there talking with um with Scott McConnell and Jeff Collins in these chat groups uh, at the same time and Ken Vowles where they were criticizing Gunner on these groups. Like, let's not forget Chancey Pegg was part of that, but Chancey got to keep his job. And now we know that Gunner's flown to Alice Springs to meet with Chancey. You know, some party insiders said months ago when things were, were quite rocky for Gunner's leadership around the cocaine sex scandal. So I just wonder politically, it's such a stupid thing to do. You would only do that to, to, do it as like a favor to a member because he, he knows that politically that's damaging his own party. They look so petty and stupid. So is he doing it to keep Chansey happy? And that that's curious. 
Mm. But getting back and just can I get back to the to what you were saying, though, Leanna, about you know the lack of integrity and Pete that these politicians have where they don't think for themselves, they all follow party. I, I just got into another issue that I, I find funny that I got to raise from last week at Parliament sittings. And I couldn't say last week because it was Thursday night. I thought maybe they would bring it up and they didn't. I, uh, this whole procurement scandal in DCM, the CLP has said absolutely nothing. Mm. And we sent it to them. We talked to them. We know that they're aware of it. We said, why don't you get Gunner to table, call for Gunner to table the Stedman report so everybody can see it. You know, I've got my own concerns because it was leaked to me that, you know, of, of why I can't really give it up because I don't want to identify sources and this sort of thing. But I said, you know, do that. And the other media should get on board then. And, mm. and you know, and then you guys, I'm sure, have your own questions. I'm just suggesting you, you try and get that for everybody to get. Uh, nothing. And they said, oh, yeah, we do have our own questions. Nothing. They didn't bring it up at all. They had and such why? a... Why is that? Yeah, why? I, look, I, honestly, I don't know. But the speculation coming from people inside the CLP is that, <laughs> and this is bad, but, and look, I, and this isn't verified. We'd have to go to Leah for this, but that she has concerns about rocking the boat with the public service because her husband has a pretty cushy gig at the at the waterfront corporation being the general manager there sam burke um you know is this a thing if 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 leah goes too hard after the head public servant that there's not retaliation taken against her husband who works in the public service i don't know that's something that's been speculated upon i'd like to know the answer and what we will have to ask her is why didn't you bring this up why have you stayed silent on this the whole way through you know, at any time they could have contacted us and said, hey, like, this isn't right. But in Parliament, I mean, this was all out there in Parliament. It was in the middle of this whole investigative series we were doing where they, they, they had a responsibility to ask a question on behalf of Territorians. Absolutely. About, yeah, alleged misconduct going on in the Department of Chief Minister. And they just ran from it. They just did not do it. But, you know, if, if we've got an opposition leader who's too afraid to hold public servants accountable and the head public servant in the government because of their own interests. Wow. Jesus, we're, we're worse off than anyone ever imagined. Mm. Let's hope that couldn't be the case. Surely. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not too, but I, I, I've yet to get an explanation. I'll let you know when I get one. Okay. All right. Look, let's move on to the next story. And a health alert has been issued after a spike in gastro cases that are being caused by the rotavirus. <laughs> I kind of. That, that, that virus say? looks familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I was looking for an image of that on uh, on our image site, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, I'm right." <laughs> it's got the spike protein there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, a virus I, um, is a virus, Leon. Leave him alone. <laughs> what can you do? No, this, like, there were numerous images similar to this. Yeah. This was definitely rotavirus. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, the, I, yeah, I sent this to my wife when they put out the release about it because, um, oh, God, we don't forget a couple months ago when uh, our little toddler came home and started vomiting and we're like, oh, geez, and we're helping her. And next thing you know, I'm vomiting. I can't get up the next morning to go on to work. And yeah. It was horrendous. It was horrendous. And then by 4 o'clock that afternoon when I finally mustered the energy to get out of bed for the first time all day, then my wife had it. So, And then she was saying that, you know, these mums groups and stuff were saying that it's going around. Well, then we got this and 
to see that like the health officials issuing this this alert now after the virus skyrocketed to 91 cases since September 1st, which was up from three over the same period last wow. year. So something's going on now, whether or not that, you know, the symptoms are whatever. I don't think we had rotavirus. Of course, my daughter is vaccinated and this is one of those mandatory vaccines that all children get. But, you know, these these uh, these things go around. And uh, the, the curious thing here, too, though, that like, you know, and this bothers me about the government when they don't say where. All right. So you've got 91 cases. Where are they? Yeah. Well, they didn't say in the whole statement. Like, is it, is it Daenerys? They're saying uh, a fifth of the cases are children under 10 years of age who were not vaccinated against rotavirus. Wow. Um, yeah. And they're expecting recent cases of rotavirus have been reported across CNT, and we expect further spread. So there you go. You got another virus to watch out for around here. <laughs> the anti-vaxxers will be out marching on this one shortly as well. <laughs> yeah. What, we what's want the their... right to get the rota. <laughs> we want the right to yeah, vomit. And <laughs> well, what is it? Um, yeah, the, the, the symptoms are not are not pleasant at all on this one either. Yeah, um, yeah it, it includes fever, vomiting, and watery diarrhea. Hmm, maybe, is there any um, other kind? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> it's extra oily. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah, so um, All right. get vaccinated. <laughs> Mate, uh, we've got to finish uh, the week with a story by uh, David Wood. Police minister says anti-cops being the best in the nation <laughs> is the reason attrition rate has doubled. You don't even need to read the sarcasm um, in that one to get a laugh out of it. Oh, my goodness. Well, the spin doctors are out in full force, aren't they? <laughs> Look, yeah, so she made these comments in Parliament. Now, of course, if followed, oh, she didn't get referred to the Privileges Committee? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's obviously a lie. Or Misled- no, she was just joking. That's misleading Parliament. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. That's it misleading is misleading Territorians. It is, considering. And look, you know, that, that story got a lot of reads. And the story that Woody did before. We got a lot of reads. And so that's Madison's response to that, right? But I think it was on Friday we put up this, that anti-police officers left the force at double the rate in the last financial year, with the trend continuing in the latest quarter, the annual report shows. So we had a look at the at the police annual report. So, of course, that follows revelations of Narelle Beer resigning over executive bullying and the, and the feeling used in the role thing, in the role, in Zach Rolf's arrest. Anyway, the annual report, does not give the actual number of, of officers who left or a breakdown of why they left, but the overall attrition rate was 8.51% up from 4.53% in the 2019-20 financial year. Now, yeah, Woody did an analysis of all of these numbers and he found 142 people left, officers left in last financial year. Uh, with and, and this is important, with six of them having been dismissed, so fired. 17 retired, but 119 resigned, more than double the 66 in total who left the force the previous year. So but the the numbers are the numbers, the facts are the facts. The police were exiting the force at double the previous rate, with 83% of those leaving due to resignation. Then you get back into that NTPS, uh, uh, the, the police association, sorry, NTPA. Um, yeah, members survey who found that it was because of poor management. Well, 
you know, nobody asked her about that, to my knowledge. I mean, we don't go to the press conferences, but no one asked the minister, like, what the hell's going on with your commissioner if everyone's leaving because of him? Yeah. And, and by, you know, extension, you, what the hell's going on here? Are you going to sack this guy? How are you going to, like, is one man as a police commissioner worth more than 142 that are walking out because he's terrible yeah. every year? Yeah. And the numbers are getting bigger. But how do you know it's because of him, though, Chris? Yeah, well, I mean, it could be well, executive, but I'm talking about what the police association numbers tell us is that it's poor management. Now, who's responsible for management, right? Mm. It's him, it's the boss, and it's the minister. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I think it was a question from the opposition, and they, they had asked about this finally. We had run the, the, the best kind of stories on this that really went into detail about these numbers and really provided an analysis and context. But anyway, they finally asked the question and then she says that, well, no, it's just because they're the best in the nation and they're being recruited all over the place from everywhere. Well, are, like, are uh, these people going to other jobs in other police forces around the country? When they resign, yeah, that's, right. yeah, they're resigning their plan. Now, okay. remember there was some, there was issue and we talked about it months ago, guys, where they were given disciplinary notices, some police, so that they yeah. couldn't leave uh, and get jobs because if they're under this whatever this section is yeah, 79 yeah. i think um that they that they can't then be transferred or they can't leave until this whole thing started and they can't wow. go to an interstate thing and that was a way to prevent people from going we were told at the time um so yeah so yeah so look you, you've got so many issues in there and just you know all the other stuff that's gone on yeah. uh and and this is the best that Madison can give people is that she says, uh, you know, and then 30 cops have left since July 1st, according to the NTPA. Anyway, uh, she did this. I mean, just talk about talking points, but I'll read it for you guys. When it comes to police, unlike the CLP, because we should go back to what they did five years ago, this government has made sure we have a record investment in police and record numbers of police. Oh, God. There are police officers who decide that they will retire. We talked about those, that yeah. handful yeah. <laughs> who choose to enter into other careers or who are sought after by other jurisdictions because the anti police are the best in the nation. Wow. Jobs, 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 yeah, interstate yeah. jobs, 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 <laughs> interstate. Yeah. So yeah, come on, Nicole, you got to get real on this, but look, they don't want to address these issues. And until you start doing that, yeah. um, it's going to get worse here. And that's what we're hearing. I mean, like I said, well, we talked to real cops for on the beat. We don't like to talk about, um, you know, like we don't really get into police stories as such, you know, unless it's something pretty huge. But, you know, when, when this thing happened in uh, Karama the other night and they're talking about people using iron bars and shovels and all this sort of stuff, all I could think to myself as I was reading these, this story or these stories was the fact that, okay, we know altercations happen and, and that's fine. You know, this, these things happen in real life. But if something like that happens, where are our police force looking out for these people? And I, I don't blame them as such, mm -hmm. you know, like I think she may have been right. There are record numbers. She just lost the, the word low in the middle there. <laughs> record low numbers but do you know what i mean like the fact who was the guy leon we had on last year the economist and we said we're in record debt we've got 
the economy's tanking, you know, what's next? And he said, what's next is you'll have less police force, you'll have less doctors and nurses, and things will, and every day when I read these stories, I think it's exactly what he predicted. Dr. Vermeuri? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Is that Ram? Who said yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think that a lot of them, and I think when you get into this, you're, you're talking about morale issues, right? Like the, yeah. the, the morale is so low that, that they just don't feel like they are doing something worthwhile. You know, I think they do, but they just don't seem to get that support that they want from the executive or from the yeah. government in what they're doing every day. And I'm starting to sense it in the press releases too. When you talk about those issues like that, the fact yeah. that they bring it up and that they continue, you know, we ran a story today about uh, an 11 year old yes, who was caught in a group of six for property damage around town of crimes for you. They stole a car, smashed up some businesses, running the mill stuff here. Yeah. An 11 year old, but that 11 year old had breached bail apparently. And then there bail. was, yeah, an 11 year old was out on bail. I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> now yeah. the other part, they had then a 10 year old, but apparently the 10 year old hadn't, uh, hadn't had a prior or anything. And a couple of 12 year olds were mixed up in this too. They're stealing cars and smashing yeah. into businesses. Uh, but the fact that the police are kind of putting that out, you kind of get the sense that they're saying yeah. there's nothing we can do. And it was an inter interesting interview this week on Mix uh, with, I think it was Laidler is his name, a cop here. It's mentioned in this story about the 11-year-old because talk about a cop who's getting frustrated about this. Now, he was talking about this. This is very interesting. He was talking about, so he's the assistant commissioner for regional and remote policing. Craig Laidler earlier this week expressed his disappointment over apprehending youths who are involved in property crimes. He said, we're remanding them in custody. There's no issues there, but these are property offenses. They're going to be released from custody at some stage, even when they're sentenced. So you get the sense of the frustration there. Yeah. The cops are, are locking them up or, or, you know, at least stopping them for a little while, but then they're yeah, just coming yeah. back and something fundamental needs to change to prevent that. And it, it yeah. ain't happening. And I get that frustration from the cops and we're starting to see it more in their releases. You know, their, their yeah, anger is yeah. kind of boiling over and coming out in that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, in a politically correct environment here, they don't identify the uh, ethnicity of the, uh, perpetrators anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's uh, right. They used to. Well, they if it's a to. serious crime and they're looking for somebody, yeah, right. they will. But yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I can I can see why that would be unhelpful, but uh, you know, it makes it difficult to actually sort of contextualize the whole thing and you know, do yeah. you know mm. where, where this is coming from. Yeah, I don't know. Look, they're putting it on on the cops. So, so to get back to the police minister saying, yeah, they're the best in the nation. Well, <laughs> they're probably the hardest working in the nation yeah. because, you know, I mean, she's doing this for spin and ridiculousness. But let's talk about what they have to put up with every day. The frustrations there. Yeah. And they are doing a good job. But yeah, whether or not they're being headhunted. I mean, she knows what the issues are. Like I said, she knows what the issues are. If she wants to yeah. start fixing it and keeping cops here, then she's got to look at her, at the man in charge there, the police. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, boys, I know this isn't on the rundown, but just something really quickly I wanted to mention because uh, we've got Christmas just around the corner, right? We're, we're a month away. Yeah. 
And uh, I was thinking about it the other day because people are starting to make plans for Christmas and travel plans. And we know last year we were all told to stay home despite the uh, the big man heading off to North Queensland. Um, Santa. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's been, there's been a lot of talk about uh, this new home quarantine trial uh-huh. which, is, uh, which is going on. And I just wanted to read a little extract to you both because, um, you know, it probably would highlight to you why people get so frustrated and so annoyed with everything that's going on at the moment. Yeah. And um, I came across this little doozy uh, through uh, the NT News the other day, but also on ABC and the Chief Minister had revealed that 40 to 50 people are currently participating in the NT's home quarantine trials after mm. weeks of basically the government not saying anything. But I thought, you know, all we need is a straight answer. People don't care if it's 10 or 10,000. But it said that, uh, you know, when quizzed for a second time, Mr Gunner recalled the last figure he'd been provided on the size of the quarantine program, and this is a quote here, it's somewhere in the mid-40s, he said. It also changes every day, the numbers, so it fluctuates. I need to have confidence in those numbers in there, and I've got that confidence. Mr Gunner said the trial had been so far successful. At the moment, I've had no negative feedback. I've got a formal meeting this afternoon. I'll get more feedback, but they're my main questions are going to the practical side. I just find, I mean, we always talk about the way he talks, but just answer a goddamn question, mate. That's all we want to know. Yeah. What's happening? How many people are doing it? And is it? likely to continue because it's going to affect people in the coming months. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly, Pete. And I think that's the frustration people have. But this trial seems to be all conceived, I guess. And if you can't explain how it's well, well why is it fluctuating? Correct. Like that doesn't make any it's, sense well, it, at all. Look, you know, that sounded to me, and I'll, I'll go back to my, you know, broadcasting training. Mm. That sounded to me like someone who was thinking on the run, yeah. didn't have the answers and was just clutching at straws that that's yeah. how those answered answers appear. yeah and that line about how he says i need to have confidence in this i need to that's yeah. funny too because he doesn't it's the, the health professionals <laughs> need to he doesn't we don't have confidence in him yeah, yeah um yeah i i don't know how that's going and uh yeah i think people should be concerned about that if he's not being upfront with people and explaining that there's a whole yeah. lot of issues there a whole lot of issues that they just think oh well people can take it you know, they'll they'll just have to deal with what we're giving them. But I don't think that's enough, and that's where he's learned losing. Correct. The battle and, here. and either you do know or you don't know. Yeah. Like yeah. if you don't know, that's so much better than all the other waffle that we get around it. Yeah. We or you do know and you can't say for whatever reason, that's fine as well. But this sort of midway stuff of oh it's mid forties and it fluctuates and I need to feel <laughs> you don't need yeah. to feel anything, mate. Yeah, 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 exactly. Let's just stick to the facts. But um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Look, you know, like I said, it's Thursday night here. People are talking about this now, about um, possible community uh, contact of COVID here. So um, how that would happen right now, I don't know. Remember that um, Mm. that we're supposed to be at 80% before, you know, the lockdowns end. So yeah, I don't know. The came back from uh, London. Yesterday, didn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, but are they, yeah, more are they quarantining? Did it come back from London? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that they would still have to go to Howard Springs, but maybe not. Yeah. 
I don't know. There's a lot we're not getting, a lot of information yeah. now, and we'll see where this goes here. At tonight. one stage, we didn't even know if the floods were coming back, remember? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was certain they were sometime, but, <laughs> but he didn't figure that out before he made the deal. I note with interest that the 50 days of freedom has been extended as well. So, Well, look, now that was that was stupidity on the part of the NT News. That was just outright stupidity to put that lock up. Gunner basically said he wasn't going to meet it. That was when he said that 50 days ago. And then guess what, guys? Things change. Hate to tell reporters that things change. Yeah. And you got to report stuff every day. And you should be reporting the numbers every day, too, that what the federal government's saying and what the NT government's saying about how many vaccinated people, because that's actually useful information, a little graphic of a padlock yeah. on the front page, counting down to an imaginary date that had already been acknowledged as being changed. Yes. And then writing a story today saying, oh, he's missed the deadline. No, it was a deadline that he made 50 days ago that he had to change and he'd already made that public. I, yeah. That was just, that's just bad journalism <laughs> all around. So yeah, um, it's like we're and, sticking with it no matter what the facts yeah. tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to get them at the end. I guess they thought that. I, I, but I don't even yeah. get how they held them accountable at the end. Just report yeah. on how things change. You got to, Anyway, Jesus Christ, I don't know. <laughs> and we got the media awards coming up on Saturday, so I'll get to I'll get to air my grievances with the good <laughs> folks at the NT News. Then, if you, <laughs> if you get a win, just make it like Festivus and just tell them everything <laughs> they've disappointed you with over the last twelve months. Yeah, and then I'll. Uh, and then we'll do the feats of strength after two. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. No one's getting another award until you tackle me to the ground, Georgie. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, crazy times. <laughs> right, Chris. It's been a pleasure as always. We'll catch you next week, mate. Great. Thanks, guys. See you then. Yeah. That's it this week for the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you with the Weekends with Balshi next weekend. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.